Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. All right, one of those podcasts I hate starting out this way. It's a sad day. Um, Keith McCants, the former Bucks linebacker slash defensive end from Alabama. Terrific college player, never really uh, had much of an NFL career, but a lot of troubles after his career uh, with drug abuse and such. Uh, died, unfortunately, on uh, at 53 years old, and Joey Knight joins us. And Joey, you wrote about this guy back in June. He's had so many uh, you know, attempts of trying to put that, that spiral behind him, and it looked like for all the world, you know, I know he was, he was having hip surgery. Um, he's had a series of injuries, which, which sort of contributed to him taking painkillers, but, uh, a mayoral candidate, Robert Blackman, who you talked to, uh, after this incident, um, was brought to light. He had tried as best he could to, to sort of find him housing, get him back on the right track. So you talk to Blackman, just, just pick it up from there and tell us sort of, what happened? And we'll go back to the story that you wrote in June. You know, Rick, the last time I saw Keith was late May, early June. And you're right. His life, he seemed in a good place. He had just received hip replacement surgery. I, I first met Keith McCants and Robert Blackman uh, right around March Madness. We had lunch um, and March Madness was playing on the on the. TV uh, screens at the place we were at and Keith was hurting. His voice was slurred. He had, he, it took him forever just to get to the table in the restaurant. You could tell he was in pain because he needed this hip replacement Mm. surgery. And he, he just, he looked, he looked bad and the slurred speech. I don't know if it was just from pain or whatever pain medication he was on, but you know, I, I, I told our boss, Tracy Johnson, I said, Let's wait till we, he has this hip surgery before we write anything, because I, I just don't get a good feeling coming out of this out of this meeting. I, I think, you know, I, I just don't know what to make of this. Well, he, he ended up having the, the hip surgery and Robert Blackman, who befriended Keith about a decade ago, kind of helped foot the bill for, for this procedure. And he looked like a different person. He, he is there was the. The gleam in his eyes. He was moving around on a walker really well. He, you know, he, he he spoke, you know, coherently, like he was in no pain. He said he feels fabulous. He was all smiles that day. So it looked like Keith McCants was in a really good place. And this was late May, early June. And then you get this bombshell today. And uh, I, I'm still a little numb Rick, because I got to know Keith a little bit. We, we're the same age. Uh, I went to school in South Alabama at Troy State when he was at Alabama. So we kind of had a lot to talk about in that way because I followed his career really closely. And, you know, we, we got to know each other pretty well. So this this news stung today um, because I thought Keith McCants, after all of his well-documented problems with addictions and arrests and financial troubles. I thought he had gotten his life in a pretty good place. And according to Robert, almost all of his legal troubles were behind him. He was really, 
it seemed poised for finally a fresh start. And then this news today, it's just, it's awful. Yeah, it really is. And uh, uh, Robert Blackman says in your story, uh, quote, I, I'm still shocked the guy who's 53 years old can be gone, who was a Titan to his peers. And he was that. And you see, you mentioned yes. you were in Alabama at the time. Joey, I don't think I saw a better college football player um, about the time that he was entering the draft. And I know he became injured late in that season, but in the Iron Bowl, I want to say, you know, if he had one tackle, he had 20. And it was sideline oh to sideline. This guy could run. He could run like nobody's business at about six foot four and a half, five, two hundred and fifty pounds. Um, he could fly, and and he was unblockable. Basically, he was the entire Crimson Tide defense, and he was fun to watch because he had a lot of energy. He enjoyed the game. You could see the smile uh, that he always had on the sideline, and I remember that bright smile. About that's what I remember about Keith McCants as much as anything. Um, and, you know, his, his former coach, Ray Perkins, I mean, in 1990, that was my first year on the Bucks. if you can believe that. I was really young, Joey. <laughs> I was right out of high school. Um, but I, uh, I can remember being in, in Ray Perkins' office, which was, you know, back off of runway 36 right. It was basically a sort of a glorified trailer park at that time. And he had this small little office, and so I was sitting in what would, what would amount to the, uh, the lobby, which was just – an administrative assistant um, outside his office. And I could hear him talking, I think, to Hugh Culverhouse or maybe Hugh Jr., but he was saying essentially a couple of days before the draft who they were going to take. They were picking fifth overall, I believe, and or maybe it was fourth overall, but right in there. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, we're going to take we're gonna take McCants. I'm going to play him at linebacker. And he says, I know the kid. He's going to be good. So, And there was some debate about that because if you remember, a guy taken right after him was by the name of Junior Seau. That's right. And and so, you know, the word was that uh, because Perkins knew McCants so well, um, he didn't allow his scouts because he was in charge of all the personnel decisions back then. He didn't even allow his scouts to go out to UCLA and and watch Junior Seau, much less draft him. He had no interest in him at all. Um, And then it it was incredible that because, you know, he kind of had a dinged up knee and look, Arthroscopic surgery back then, knee surgery back then, it was different, I think, even as, as late as early as 1990. Um, but they made him have surgery. He he showed up having had surgery to the Bucks press conference. That's their first drum draft pick. It was the weirdest wow. thing in the world. I mean, here's a guy. Yeah, here's a guy with post-surgical, you know, bandages all over him. And that led to, and I still say is one of the better leads I ever wrote, he came from Alabama with a bandage on his knee, and <laughs> and that's and that was Keith McCants. He, yeah. uh, oh Susanna, he 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 was just um, mad that they made him do this. And Perkins was fired in short order after one season, and then unfortunately, um, I want to say they 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 brought in like Floyd Peters, um, and they yeah. moved him to defensive end, and they made him gain probably fifteen to seventeen pounds, and that. That destroyed what he was, you know. Right. And the kid, he put he put the weight on, and he was as ineffective as you could imagine. Um, and and I think what you say in the story, he played five or six years. His last year was with the Arizona Cardinals, I believe. Last year um, with the Arizona Cardinals, so, and, you know. And yeah. you, you talk about you know putting all that weight on a bad knee to begin with, but I, mm-hmm. I, you know, you you talk about it, Rick. I remember that. 89 season his last year at Alabama Bill Curry they oh, were undefeated my 
right up until the Auburn game. And he just, he just owned some teams. I mean, you know, where, where, where I yeah. went to college at Troy state, my fraternity was half Alabama, half Auburn, maybe more Alabama. So that was ritual on Saturday afternoons. We watched those two teams. Oh, so yeah. I saw, I saw almost all of those Alabama games and, he was just a force of nature. I, you know, there was one game against mm-hmm. Penn State that you know Alabama fans will recall. They they blocked a field goal at the very end of the game to win it. I think McCants had the block. He was just a force of nature <laughs> on the field. And then you know he gets to the NFL, and you just laid out all the all the unfortunate circumstances. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, probably his his greatest claim to fame in the NFL. You know, he only had thirteen and a half sacks in a six season career. But, you know, talk about a kind of a Walter Mitty thing. His greatest claim to fame is he's the guy who kind of stood between Buddy Ryan and Kevin Gilbride when Buddy Ryan threw a punch at him. If you yeah. go back and look at that footage, yeah. Keith McCann's right. right there kind of kind of breaking him up. So, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's kind right. of his one, you know, lasting or shining moment, if you will, in the NFL. But, you know, you just you talk about a victim of circumstance, just the bad knee. And then having to put on all that weight for Sergeant Rock, Floyd Peters, and getting played out of position, it, it was never going to work. And, you know, he, we, we've talked about this, Rick. He, he really, you know, was misadvised or ill-advised in terms of his money. And obviously, you know, a, a young kid coming out of college with that kind of money, he just he kind of shunned yeah. good financial advice at that age, at that point of his life. Mm-hmm. And then just yeah. the addictions because of, of, of his knee problems. We talked about that in our second conversation. You know, he, he did develop an addiction to painkillers and to street drugs like cocaine. But he insisted, you know, it wasn't to party. It was just to kill the pain. It was just, you know, it was a, it was a suppressant. He, he was trying to put anything in his body he could to kill the pain. And I believed him. And one thing led to another. This drug wasn't strong enough. It's on to the next drug. And then you just had the the problems in his life pile up the way they did just because of these addictions. At that time, um, especially in the NFL, opiates were sort of what they would prescribe, you know, Mm -hmm. and you could find them by the handfuls in NFL locker rooms. I'm not pointing a finger at any particular trainer, doctor, uh, or even organization, but that was the reality of the NFL back in the day. And, you know, with Keith, there, there was a couple things working against him. His health was the first. Right. Uh, he got drafted by a horrible organization that was, you know, going from his head coach at Alabama to another Alabama head coach in Richard Williamson that was way over his head. He went 3-13 and 13, um, that year. And it, it, it just, you know, it was one thing after another, the switch to positions – but more than that, when you give a kid uh, that sort of money, and back then it wasn't nearly what the money is today. I mean, in relative terms, it was was not. Um, right. What did, what did he make, Joey? I think you said like $13 million in his career or something like that. I maybe think less. he told I'm, I'm Steve sure. Dumig, rest in peace, someone else. I think he told Steve Dumig once that he went through $17 million in his career. $17 million, yeah. And, uh, yeah so I'm now if, if you think about that, again because I had that in as stores. a top five pick, that's not much money because, you know, quarterbacks um, at one point when there was no rookie salary cap would sometimes get $50 million guaranteed. Um, yeah. So Keith McCants, you know, was sort of before the really huge money hit um, and draft picks still got paid the most more than, more than the uh, – you know, more than the veterans did. I mean, Jerry Rice, 
in, in his biggest year might have made a million dollars, you know, right. to, to just by example. So, but McCants was ill-equipped. Like, you know, the first thing he got was a couple of cars. Like, it was two of everything, right? right. And I remember he was such a naive kid. I mean, he's from, from Alabama. He's living in Tampa. And he, uh, he was complaining one day about it. He goes, man, I drive down the road. And he says, and everybody's honking at me. Like, they know who I am. Like, I don't understand. I'm like, well, Keith, you have your name in Boston gold on your <laughs> your black windows there. It says wow. McCants. Like, you know? And he just, <laughs> so when he got released, when he got released or traded, I can't remember which, um, probably traded, uh, I went by his house. And he had one of these, he had a place on the water, um, sort of off like Tampa Road, you know, Hillsborough Avenue extended uh, there on the sort of the west side. Um, real nice house. I mean, beautiful home on the water. But again, I drove up and there's somebody taking care of his things. It wasn't huh. him. Um, he had a, he had a guy that was helping him out. Two jet skis, a boat, you know, all these toys, right? And he had to move to some other city. And he wasn't going to take them with him. So this guy was taking care of his place for him. So you just kind of knew, like, and it, it, this was not uncommon even today for 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 guys, um, you know, to to maybe go out and spend too much money as if they're going to have it the rest of their lives. So all of that was just a tragic story. And then, of course, the arrest. I mean, you know, kept popping up on the wrong section of the newspaper with uh, whether it was drug paraphernalia or drugs itself. Um, it, it's it's really because he was to me, he was a sweet guy. Like he for he was a giant. He really was. He really was a bright-eyed kid uh, with that terrific smile. And, you know, football was his life, and it didn't work out in the NFL. And failure has got to be a, a bitter pill to swallow when you've had the success that this guy had. But when I looked at the picture, I think that ran in the Tampa Bay Times uh, prior to his hip surgery, I think you have one of him on, on, a, on a waterfront. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where this was taken, but he's, he's in a walker. Yeah. And Joey, yeah, it breaks my heart because Coffee Pot Park in a on a walker, and I swear to you, he looks sixty five, maybe sixty seven years old, you know. Yeah. And he just wasn't that old. Um, the definition of his legs are gone. Um, you know, just 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 you know everything uh, physically kind of taken away from him. And believe me when I tell you, he was a specimen. Now when this guy showed up before they put the weight on him, um, you know, he was ripped. And so it's just sad. And I've seen too much of this. Like, I've, you know, football, as long as I've covered it, it's a brutal game. Um, guys come from all kinds of backgrounds. There's no excuse, right? Uh, people don't want to feel sorry for anybody that has that opportunity. But I'm telling you, th- these guys are scarred, and they're scarred in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, it, it, it can be knees and elbows and backs and – you know, you name it. Um, as young men, they feel like they're sixty years old because they're in pain all the time. So, so the pain management is a problem. And then there's we don't what we don't know about, and I don't know if this is going to be something that they do in an autopsy or not, because I don't know who's in charge of his uh, of his burial. But you know, we found out what CTE has done to these guys. Right. You know, Vincent and you Jackson. um you I spoke mean, uh, you know, earlier today to Ian Beckles, who was his teammate uh, yeah. in the same draft class, mm-hmm. and. I heard Ian on the radio right. also. He he he's 
he's convinced that there, there was some CTE involved with Keith. I mean, he was out yeah. there every day, you know, he's practiced with him. He's, yeah. He saw him, he, you know, he hung around him, he, you know, he, they were a part of each other's life for a while. And he, he's convinced of that. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, you know, I don't want to say perfect storm. It's an imperfect storm, but you get out of football, yeah. uh, you lose, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have that income anymore. You don't manage your money correctly. You, you talked about that. And then, right. you know, it's very easy just to get sucked down into that vortex, that downward spiral. I, I yeah. remember him telling have me. Have a couple of kids with child, child support. For the Tampa Bay Times in June. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, in addition to telling, you know, Steve Dumig that he lost more than $17 million in his career, he, you know, he, he acknowledged he, he, in a video produced by Vice Sports, you know, part of the research I did on the story, he acknowledged he attempted suicide more than once. And at one point, he consumed nearly 200 pills a week just to alleviate the pain. You know, he had nearly three dozen surgeries, uh, primarily on his right Mm. knee, but also his elbow, his neck, his left shoulder. He and Blackman told me that after they got the the hip replacement procedure done and out of the way, he was going to go to work on his right shoulder because he could only lift his right shoulder up so high. So, you know, it's just that downward vortex of, the money running out and you're in constant agony and you got to find relief from somewhere. And sometimes the pain just gets too overwhelming physically and mentally and emotionally. And you know, this, what happens, what results is the cautionary tale we're talking about tonight. And there's just far too many of these cautionary tales lately. It's just, you know, I'm still kind of numb to it. 53 years of age, 53. Yeah, just just a shame. And um, again, you know, you think about his family, and he and he had children, which uh, it, you know also occurs to these you know happens to these players when um, you right. had child support payments to add to their financial stress. And uh, he was getting out from all of that, and had some help uh, from Robert Blackman, and then and then of course uh, they got a call, I guess, at uh, a little before six a.m. Um, in Saint Petersburg. And Keith McCants is uh, is gone. So, when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code Listen to get fifty dollars off your purchase of five hundred dollars or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. That's a tough one. Uh, There was some college football. College football was back. College football in uh, USF as we're doing this podcast. Not such a great start uh, for the the Bulls, to say the very least. They're playing at North Carolina State. And again, uh, we'll give you the halftime score was 24 to nothing. But... Joey, you've covered this team. Um, you, you certainly know uh, Coach Scott and uh, you know his attempts to uh, you know to, to sort of recalibrate USF and the number of quarterbacks that he has had in a short time. But he did something that he that he did all of last year again. I mean, Kate Fortin started the game and it seemed like he didn't make it to the second quarter. He was changing them already. You know, Cade Fortin, we we heard all summer and most of the spring that this kid 
had worked his way to be QB1. He had done all the right things. He appeared to give them the best chance to win. He had performed the best in the spring and in the scrimmages. And USF made a, a, a big a big deal or a big show of proclaiming him QB1. They even went on social media and announced that Fortin was a starter on, on Twitter, on social media. And then we see here, you know, Cade's a little hyped up. He's a little geeked up, just like I would be, just like you would be. He's got a tremendous arm. He was just, you know, he was off the mark. He was overthrowing guys, throwing behind him. He was just a little geeked up in what appears to be a, a, a packed atmosphere in Raleigh. And lo and behold, he gets the hook about midway through the second quarter. And we've seen this from Jeff Scott. You know, Jeff Scott got a mulligan, and rightfully so, last year, his inaugural season, because of all the, the things he had to coach through with the pandemic and being his first year and the roster turnover. But right now, 2021, it has to be to a degree a referendum on Jeff Scott. And what we've seen through these first nine-plus games is just an, an incessant shuffling of quarterbacks in the game. You know, if, if I was a quarterback for USF right now, the way these guys are getting taken in and out, we saw it last year with Jordan McLeod and Catravis Marsh and Cade Fortin, and I may, may be missing someone, but they did this, it seems like, just about every game last year. And here we are, the season opener, and Cade Fortin is pulled about midway through the second quarter after all of this hype proclaiming him number one. And so now you've got one kid whose confidence is rattled. So they bring in the true freshman, Timmy McLean, who is teeming with upside, a tremendous dual threat, had a fabulous career in Central Florida, led his team to a state championship. And, you know, he's, he, he, does, he moves the offense a little bit with his legs, makes a couple of nice throws, but right toward the end of the half, he throws an interception. So you, now you go to intermission with two rattled quarterbacks. I don't see, Rick, yeah. I don't see this situation at USF getting any better until they get this quarterback situation settled and give guys a chance. You know, uh, uh, um, Cade Fortin, if he gets back in the game, you know, what, what's, his, what's his confidence going to be like? Because, you know, I, I'd be nervous every time I draw back to throw. Well, if I throw behind the guy, I, I may get pulled. You just, you just can't do it that way. And if I'm a USF fan, Quite honestly, I'm a little disgusted at this point. You've got to stick with a guy and give him a fair shake. Give him at least a half to, you know, to, to settle down, to get his feet set, to get his bearings. And then if, you know, if he's, if he's still ineffective after a half, if they still got zero passing yards, then you make a decision. But this quick hook is just not doing anything for, for this program at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to understand that you're you're probably not going to go up there and upset North Carolina State, right? Right, right. And this is the first game of, of of a very difficult first two weeks. I mean, you're playing Florida at home next week. If you think this is going to go bad, just wait till the Gators show up. All right. So you go through all of spring practice and you have this competition and you settle on Cade Fortin and naturally it's a road game. It's a packed stadium. I mean, we haven't seen right. fans in college football right a full packed stadium in two years. Um, so it's an intimidating atmosphere. You get out there and it wasn't that he was throwing to the wrong guy or making egregious mistakes. He was just amped up the ball. He was missing some guys. He missed a, he missed a wide open receiver down the field, a little long. Uh, 
He threw behind a guy. Um, you know, he, he just was looked like somebody who was making his first start of the season at North Carolina State. And right. You know, what signal what signal does it send to the rest of the players? You know, this is the thing. It's like we get behind a guy and people can say, well, you know, players don't take side. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Um, you know, when, you, when you've got quarterback controversies, you're going to split the locker room. You're going to split the coaching staff. Some guys are going to think you should stick with this guy. And there's no development. It's all about, well, it's production. Well, we got to win. We got to, you know, we got to get a first down. We, we you know. Uh, we had an open receiver here. He missed them. Let's get somebody else in. I mean, then now you're unfair to all of them. You know, now right. now no one's going to develop. I mean, at some point, you got to give a guy a chance to develop. I, you know, certainly more than the first half of the first game that you weren't going to win anyway. Um, and you know, if you're going into the season saying we got a two quarterback system, mm, okay, no, you don't. let's see it. <laughs> but that. But but you really don't, you know. No, that that no one has thrived in that that sort of you know substitution pattern. So I'm I'm with you. I like I I just don't know what spring football is about. If I go out and win the job, but I win it for less than the first half on a road game at North Carolina State. And, and if I'm if I'm a recruit, if I'm a quarterback recruit considering USF, and I'm watching this. And I watched, yeah. you know, any any portion of USF football last year. I'm saying, man, I don't know about this. If I go in a couple series and I'm I don't start off hot and I struggle, you know, I may never get another chance. You know, I right kids see that they're they're not stupid, and and we've just we've you know I I don't want to call it panic by Jeff Scott, but that's what it looks like. But the thing is, Rick, we've seen this modus operandi for this is the tenth game they did it. All last year, you know, we saw Jordan McLeod, and when he didn't work, we saw them go to Katravis Marsh, who was a true freshman last year. And then we saw Cade Fortin come in, you know, and he played a little bit before he got dinged up. You just – you got to go with somebody and give them a legitimate shot. I'm not saying stick with them for two or three games through thick and thin, but give them more than a quarter and a half. Let let a guy – get his bearings. This was Cade Fortin's first start in, my gosh, I think since 2018 when he was at North Carolina. He was he was nervous, and, and you made a great point. He wasn't throwing to the wrong guys. He was just overthrowing no. his own guys and throwing a little bit behind him. He was, he was, he was geeked yeah. up a little bit, just like anybody would be. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we'll never know if he could have found his rhythm because, you know, we Timmy McClain has come in here and started the second half, so you know, I don't know where that leaves Cade Fort now, and you got to wonder what's going through his mind and what his confidence is like. Uh, you know, is he? You know, uh, if, if I'm Cade Fort, I'm I'm really confused and distraught right now. Oh, I'm looking for how soon the transfer portal opens. If it opens at <laughs> halftime, I might be walking through it because I'm telling you, man. Um, and, and the thing is, they're different quarterbacks, right? You got one guy is more of a dual threat. All right. You're running the same offense, I guess, essentially. But let me just tell you this. Uh, guys that run around at the quarterback position, they get hit a lot and they get sacked a lot. And the offensive linemen have a tough time blocking for them. You know why? Because they never know where they're going to be. You exactly. know, If one guy is going to stand in the pocket like he's supposed to, that's fine. But if you've got a guy that's going to move around back there, it's very difficult to block for those guys. Absolutely. And, you know, that's a great point. They're two different people. 
And in this case, two different styles. Timmy McClain is, I know a lot of Bulls fans are hoping he's the second coming of Quentin Flowers. He is a legitimate dual yep, threat. He yep. can move. He's a left-handed yep. quarterback, so he's going to move out of the pocket at a different place than a right-hander like Cade Fortin. You know, Cade Fortin is naturally most of the time going to roll right. Timmy McClain's probably going to roll left because he's left-handed. So, mm-hmm. yeah, people don't realize that. It gets into the head of the offensive lineman. It is a ripple effect. And, you know, the, the guys on the sideline in, in that huddle are saying, wow, is my coach panicking? You know, taking Cade <laughs> out after, you know, after – 17 yeah. minutes of this game you know the the coach is supposed to be that stabilizing steady force on the sideline and for for 10 games you know we've just kind of seen these you know i don't like to say it, but we've kind of seen these panic moves and they, they've won one yeah. of those 10 games so you know yeah it's, I, it's not I, been know, good if, man, if i'm I mean... a usf fan I, i'm really disillusioned but not not you know not by the outcome because we knew it was a long shot, but just the way this has transpired offensively. Yeah, I agree. And you think the left-handed right-handed thing, you, you know, you mentioned that it's really a big thing. I mean, um, sure it it, is. it's like looking in a mirror and calling your offense. I mean, I, I remember uh, there was a time when, when John Gruden, um, you know, had Brad Johnson and Brian Greasy and then Chris Sims shows up and, Chris, of course, was a left-hander, played at the University of Texas. And Gruden would openly tell you that he hated even a rep for Chris Sims because it would confuse him. He was like, right. you know, I can't stand all the waggles are backwards, the bootlegs are this and that. I, you know, he's left-handed. We got, and, and it sounds simple, but it's, it's totally opposite, right? Like um, all yeah. of a sudden your right tackle is protecting his backside. You know, yeah. and 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 you know the 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 motions, the bootlegs, the waggles are all to the opposite, and the receivers. You know, I mean, everything changes, right? And you just put in a left-handed quarterback who runs around, <laughs> and that's and uh, that is not you know, we're Cade Fortin. Watching, I know you and Steve are probably watching it right with me. I don't think Timmy McClain did a thing on his first series of the second half. If I'm not nothing. mistaken, did nothing, yeah. huh? And yet he got that start, and you know, and I'm not sure it would have been better to go back to Cade. You may see Cade in this game again, or a third quarterback. I don't even know who that would be. Um, while they're at it, I mean, it's it's <laughs> well, it's they've crazy still got because, two out there in Travis Marsh, who's a sophomore, and Jaron Williams, the kid who transferred from Miami. So Lord knows if we'll see them before the night's over. <laughs> bring bring him on. You'll probably see him by the Florida game for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a tough tough start tough start for USF. It really is. Meanwhile, we were at uh, the Bucks. We'll wrap it up on this, uh, watching them kind of a bonus day, uh, if you will. Uh, an announcement that I guess was predicted and then sort of still surprising by its, by its own announcement, which was Bruce Arians saying that his football team, the players and coaches, 100% vaccinated. Yeah, uh, that kind of caught me by surprise. I asked the question and I, I was thinking, you know, he would say, you know, we're close. We're 98 percent, hoping to be, you know, 100 by early next week. But he came out and said, no, we're 100 percent vaccinated. Every player, coach, staffer, everybody in the organization is vaccinated. And then, um, you know, Leonard Fournette came out and, and spoke with us and he was kind of one of the vaccine holdouts if you will. And he basically, you know, I'm paraphrasing him, but he just said, Hey, I I think 
you know, it was best for the team for me to go ahead and get vaccinated. I prayed about it. You know, a lot of people are still getting sick, but, you know, this is, um, I think this is what's best to protect everybody on the team. And we're going to need all hands on deck. These first few games is starting with, you know, starting with next week. So that's the reason he went ahead and got vaccinated. But uh, yeah, I was surprised that it was, it was a hundred percent at this point. And, you know, that's um, got to be encouraging for Bucks fans. That certainly doesn't, doesn't uh, preclude them from any, you know, COVID-19 issues as we've seen. Um, they, they still have three guys on the reserve COVID-19 list right now. And, you know, this Delta variant, you know, it, Having the vaccine, as we all know, doesn't um, doesn't make you immune from catching the virus. It just keeps you from getting really sick, you know, uh, an overwhelming majority of the time. So this is going to continue to be an issue. But, you know, if I'm, if I'm a Bucks fan, I'm encouraged by that 100% number for sure. Yeah, you need that, and it is going to be an issue. And, and I think that, um, you know, we've seen it. Urban Meyer said out loud what is actually happening, which is, hey um, – it absolutely is a factor if we're choosing player A or player B, uh, and and there's you know a, a tilt a tipping point. We're going to take the vaccinated player simply because he's going to be more available potentially. Um, unvaccinated players, right. if they're you know test positive or they have contact tracing, they have to be out much longer. We saw, I think Cam Newton probably cost himself a starting job by giving Mac absolutely. Jones reps. I mean that's what football is. You know everybody in football gets their job. One of two ways, through injury, lack of – or one of three ways, injury, lack of production, or, um, you know, a, 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 you take a rep. I mean, you just – you take a rep. I knew players that didn't want to take a rep off because – and Tom Brady's one of them, by the way, because that's how they got their job. Um, and, and, yeah. and it's more football than any other sport. So, you know, it, it, it just stands to reason that that's the way it's going to be. And I think, in a weird way um, – this is going to be a really difficult season to navigate from this standpoint. We have this Delta variant. People who who have um, vaccines, uh, some of them are getting COVID. They're not going to hospitals. They're not going on ventilators. They're very often not really sick. As Bruce Arians said the other day, a lot of these guys don't have enough symptoms that you would even consider staying home from work even one day. Um, right. So – but but because they test positive, they're out for a little while, not as long as a, a player who isn't vaccinated. But I think society has sort of found itself in this weird position where, you know, we want to a lot of people want to pretend that this is over. You know, we're not staying home. We're yeah. not wearing masks. We're not going. We're not. We're going to go to school. Uh, all of this stuff when it's actually surging as much as it has ever. And so because people are moving around, and oh, by the way, you've got 65,000 people in a stadium come <laughs> next next Thursday um, and in the concourse and everywhere else and not wearing masks, um, I, think you're, I think in many ways, you know, the one thing, the, NFL, the safest place last year was an NFL facility. True. Right. Um, because, because of the number of cases were so small. Those guys sacrificed. They went to work and they went home. And they weren't allowed to really be with their relatives. Or when they went on the road, they couldn't go to dinner. All that's changed. And there's going to be guys that went out. They went out when the Tennessee Titans came down here. They found out about COVID because they were here for about four or five days. And a bunch of guys went to dinner. They all got sick, including their head coach. 
So this is going to occur this year, unlike it did last year when they were locked down, essentially. Right. Yeah, this could, you know, I I think a huge key for this Super Bowl run last season was the way they were able to, for lack of a better term, kind of keep the virus at bay, keep it from infiltrating their season. You know, I I think uh, aside from Ronald Jones, who missed a couple of games, I don't think anybody missed more than one game. Uh, on this roster, but, and, you know, praise the Lord. We have the vaccine. Devin, Devin White, just to Devin, yeah, White. Devin White missed yeah. the Atlanta game and, and the Washington game, although he would have played had that game been on Sunday instead of Saturday. That's right. That, that's exactly right. And, you know, praise the Lord for this vaccine. Nobody's getting seriously ill, you know, as it pertains to this football team, but, just for the reasons you laid out, it could end up biting them in the rear end worse than last year because people are still going yeah. to test positive. Again, the vaccine doesn't yes. keep you immune from getting COVID-19. It just an overwhelming right. majority of the time keeps you from getting really sick. So the cases are still right. going to pop up, especially as mm-hmm. stadiums are reopened. So it's I, I hate to yeah. say it, but it's something that Bucks fans have to have to keep an eye on because it could sabotage this season at some point. Uh, you know, I hate to say it. Yep. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I, I think that again, the team that manages this virus, that sacrifices the most, that doesn't go out on the road when they can, that doesn't see family or large groups, uh, and, and that's that's going to be the team that wins. And we've seen right. it. You know, had that been a regular season game at Houston or a better team than Houston, you would have been without, you know, Indomicon Sue. That that's that's a huge loss for them. You you know, you could have been without um your your place kicker, you know, Ryan Suckup, right. which could have potentially been a huge loss for them against a, a very good team. That's why you have the expanded practice squads, but nobody wants to have to place, you know, those sixteen guys. Um you want to keep your players, your starters uh, or starters for a reason. So it's going to be interesting uh, to manage. Well, I am going to watch the rest of this USF game because all of a sudden they're airing it out a little bit for USF down 31. <laughs> they're matriculating the, the ball downfield, baby, behind Timmy McLean. <laughs> yeah. It's chuck and duck time, but here we go. So uh, enjoy the rest of the Timmy McLean. Thanks so much, Joey. We'll talk to you down the road, buddy. All right, man. Thanks. All right, well, we got lots of college football to talk about from this weekend. Big game, Penn State and Wisconsin. That's big in my family, of course. Florida and FAU. Florida State hosting Notre Dame, so lots going on there. We'll discuss all of that on Monday. The Bucks really begin their preparations this weekend. Uh, they'll be off on Saturday, back on Sunday uh, to begin cramming for the uh, Dallas Cowboys. We are less than one week away. It's incredible to kick off of the NFL season and in the race. They begin their series, of course, uh, with the Minnesota Twins over the weekend as well. So we got lots to talk about on Monday. Again, my thanks to Joey Knight. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tempe Times. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs>